You can always identify a tech bro pitch by the three B's. The presence of buzzwords, presence of big egos, and whether the buttons are undone on their shirts. And we checked we checked <laughs> all so three good. of those boxes. We were at peak tech this bro. This is so good. I need this on a shirt. The three B's. <laughs> Hey everyone, and welcome to Another Bite, the show where we rewatch some of the greatest and, well, some of the most intriguing pitches from Shark Tank. I'm Jory, and I'm joined by Leslie Green. Hey everyone. And John Dick. Hello. Today in the Shark Tank, we've got a product that aims to bring a little vending to your spending. Another that's just so full of bull. But first up in the tank, we've got Flipstick. But before we get into that, a quick word from today's sponsor. Now, Flipstick was one of my favorite pitches, I think, spoiler alert for the episode, just because Akeem Shannon comes out rocking like a full spacesuit, right? He's got this product that's using space age technology and material, but then proceeds to rip off his spacesuit and start like wrapping his pitch to us, which is just amazing. So Akeem comes to us asking for a $100,000 investment for a 20% stake in his company, which shakes out to about a $500,000 valuation. And his product is Flipstick. So it's this paper thin device on the back of your phone that helps you hold up uh, your phone and essentially stick it to any surface. It's apparently inspired by the foot of a gecko, which I feel like the sharks honestly just like breezed right by, right? Like they were- (laughs) I know. I need more. I need more on that point (laughs) right there. The gecko technology. Underrated. Rewind really quick and go back. Just an underrated industry is just like, does it remind you of a lizard foot? If not, what are you doing? So essentially the whole pitch is like, you know, with this device on the back of your phone, you've got gravity under your command because you can you can stick it in dirt. You can stick it in hair. You can stick it in spaghetti sauce. Give it a little wipe wipe and it will stick again to almost any surface. So this adhesive is like cleanable, but then also reusable, sort of like a sticky pop socket. But kind of thinking about our wrapping astronaut pitch, what are we first thinking when we first see Flipstick? Yeah, I'm super into it. This is like the perfect Shark Tank business. Uh, It's a cash (laughs) flow business that just needs a little bit of expertise. Like he's selling them for 15 bucks and it costs 58 cents, 58 cents. It costs 50 cents to make one. Right. So he's got so much margin on the books. If he, he's he got first mover advantage right now, if he can get digital going really quickly, then a ton of people will buy them. He'll just make a ton of money. And then like the investment return will just be there regardless. Like this might not be one of those products that is a wow for the next 10 or 15 years. This is going to like just keep growing and have some huge payback at the end. It's actually a payback right now business where the investors in theory can can get money out immediately. Yeah. My first thought being somebody who works in content creation, does content creation themselves, genius. I wanted it. This is there are very few times that we see something and I'm ready to purchase it on Amazon, but this was one of them. The angles, the angles you can get with this and the opportunity. Literally, because it hinges. Tell tell us about some of the angles. Yeah, like there's a lot of limitations with the the old selfie. And I think now as content has gotten more and more immersive and full screen, people really want to feel like they're a part of your experience. And it's really fun just thinking of all the places that this could be stuck. I know, you know, you think about the beauty industry where people are doing get ready with me videos every single day. I mean, the mirror is the perfect place to put it. There's a lot of opportunity. And I was, this feels like a key tool for any content creator. 
And I think like a big thing is that like gecko adhesive, like it's not supposed to damage anything, right? And I think that's like another Mm -hmm. benefit that they underplayed where it's like you could literally just like put it on your wall and you don't have to worry about that plaster. Once you see it sticking to all these things, you can't unsee it. (laughs) I go about my life and I just think about all the places I could stick my phone if I had a flip stick. And I just feel- you're a content creator. You're now a content creator. Now I'm a content creator. But no, like cooking. What about on an airplane? I'm about to take an airplane trip and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to like lean my phone on a half drunk can of Sierra Mist and like get a (laughs) crink in my neck when I could be jamming. I could stick my phone on the back of the seat in front of me. I just- once you see it, you can't unsee it. You realize you're living a worse life without a flipstick. John's just seeing gecko feet everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> when he went into the segment, I mean, we'll call it the dirty test, where he put the spaghetti, the dirt, the hair, everything, and then was able to really wipe it off and stick it again. That right there in my head was the perfect 10 second reason to believe social video infomercial yeah. that needs to be all over TikTok, you know dipping it in the spaghetti, wiping it off, showing that it still sticks. That's four social videos right there that I'm sure will do very well. Yeah. Okay. So we love this business. We are we are fawning over Flipstick right now as a group here, but he's got a little problem, doesn't he? He does. What's his problem? His sales. <laughs> no one's actually buying this. <laughs> he sold $1,500 worth of Flipsticks. <laughs> Nobody's buying it. What are your total sales to date? Our total sales to date is $115,000 in about two and a half years. Hey, Kim, something's not adding up. Your sales suck. Quote of the episode. <laughs> it is rough. $1,500 like last month. And now look, he's like, hey, that's the pandemic. But he has a distribution problem. That is actually the problem that he has. He has no digital sales going on. He built a bunch or he like rented out a bunch of kiosks and a bunch of malls to sell flipsticks. Mm -hmm. It is super expensive to build out a kiosk model when he could be going digital. And I think that at 96% gross margins, he was able to build out that kiosk model, no problem. But he could just be selling way more of these things if he could get digital going. And this is what I spent my time thinking about was like, what would it take to get the flip stick to become a viral sensation? And I don't know. What do you think, Leslie? How would how would you get the flip stick to take off? When I think in my head, where could this really show how sticky it is? Some of the things that came to mind were like a moving car or a sunroof. Yeah. Trying to maybe stick it to the front of the city bike. Could you hold it over the ledge of a tall building and feel secure about it? I don't know. That would get me impressed. That was one idea for some type of maybe sunset time lapse. We love a good sunset gram. (laughs) Another idea. Wow. Look at this. I love it. Do I? Do I content? I don't know. I do. Um, (laughs) But yeah, even the ceiling, that perspective, you know, you throw it up on the ceiling at a party or something, a birthday party and get all the vibes. So those are some ideas that I thought might take it to viral. I think you probably need to also get it in the hands of people who are already established content creators to really show how it has transformed their content creation process. Yeah. And I feel like that kind of followed through with some of the responses we got from the sharks, right? So it's like, as as you mentioned, Leslie, Mark was really blatantly like, your sales suck. I'm not getting involved. Uh, He didn't necessarily like pull out, but then he also didn't mention that he was going to make an offer. Barbara was worried about this product to 
essentially operating like a hit hit and run. Um, Barbara Barbara is never interested. Never interested. She had such a compliment sandwich. <laughs> Perpetually uninterested. She literally said something like, you have a magnetic personality. You're a superstar salesman. And for that reason, I don't think it's going to work. And it just sometimes <laughs> this is a joke. If you watch YouTube videos, people just rag on Barbara for never going in on things. But sometimes when she says stuff like this, I get it because she had nothing but positive things to say. And then she's like, but for that, I'm out. Perpetually unbothered, Barbara. (laughs) Perpetually unimpressed. Yeah. I I keep coming back to the fact that the best Shark Tank situations are when someone comes, when they have product market fit, they've got most of it figured out and they just need one thing, Mm. right? And they need the expertise of a shark for that one thing. It could be manufacturing support. It could be connections or It could just be like, I need some help figuring out how to like do digital distribution on this thing. And so to me, it's like all those concerns just like don't actually matter. And if if it's this good of margins and this good of product and all they need is one thing, I don't know. I'm just not worried about it. Despite some initial concerns, Kevin actually did put an offer on the table for essentially exactly what Akeem asked for, right? Like, so it was that $100,000 for that 20% stake in equity. And it was interesting because it was one of those cases where the founder was definitely looking for a particular shark and kind of continued to shop around. But that's actually what made Kevin pull his offer because it seems that like Akeem was really hoping for Lori. And as soon as like Kevin didn't get the all of the attention that he really wanted. He actually pulled his offer, leaving Lori to actually kind of bump up the stakes and make a deal for $100,000 for a 25% stake. Like, I love when an entrepreneur knows what shark they need or want. You know what I mean? To me, like, he could get money from a lot of places. He doesn't Mm -hmm. need to go to Shark Tank to get money. Like, he should be super opinionated if he's going to give away a big piece of his company that who he's giving it away to can deliver the thing that he needs. And that's what I really liked about him being so specific about wanting Lori. I wish he'd actually just been more upfront about it a little bit mm. instead of like having that awkward stuff with with Mr. Wonderful. Uh, but I think Lori's the perfect shark for him because this is exactly what she does. And I think they're going to sell a crap ton of flipsticks. <laughs> Yes, yes. Flipstick is very much still sticking it. So in 2021, they ended the year with $5 million in sales, which is just mind-blowing to me. Their evaluation has gone up to $25 million. So in April 2022, Flipstick rolled out to 300 Target stores across the U.S. Kiosk could never. (laughs) Target is perfect. You go in there with the mentality of buying something you don't really need. (laughs) Totally fair. Next up in the tank, we have Vango. So our two founders, Brian and Steve, come asking for $2 million for 12.5% equity in their company. That's a $16 million valuation. And the product they're selling is this like, take on a vending machine where it's a lot smaller than a traditional vending machine because it sticks on the wall. And the big kind of call to fame is that it has this software that provides like, 
kind of video layouts of the different types of items that you could go on and purchase in the machine. The the machine itself is like a coinless transaction model. They're thinking about using the video display where you essentially pick your item uh, and use that for advertising. So you can kind of capitalize on that point of purchase with media while also collecting data on how the consumers behave. So what do we think of Vango and this pitch? Okay. I have a, I have a lot of thoughts on Vengo. I knew you would. I was like, I'm just sitting back. I'm I was so like, excited John's to talk about Just Vengo. let John talk. <laughs> Highs and lows on Vengo. Okay. okay. So first of all, let me just start out. The pitch with these two guys, it was a little too tech bro-y to me. You mm. said it, not me. You can always identify a tech bro pitch by the three Bs. The presence of buzzwords, presence of big egos, and whether the buttons are undone on their shirts. And we checked we checked <laughs> all so three of those good. boxes. We were at peak tech bro. This is so good. I need this on a shirt. The three Bs. Peak tech bro for this one. But it's an awesome business, okay? Because the vending machine industry, it's $50 billion wow. a year, okay? But it's completely stuck in the old way that vending machines worked. Just think about it. Uh, it's completely out of touch with modern technology. So there's like no software in vending machines. Uh, There's no advertising model with vending machines. It relies on you like looking through the glass and picking the product that you find most interesting. Like that's the advertising model. It's got a super clunky payments model and they're like not at all cool. So like number one, it's just out of step with modern technology. Uh, Number two, that $50 billion industry could be making way more money if they adopted more modern approach. And I also, I just see lots of young entrepreneurs who are interested in building cash flow businesses talk about vending machines. Yeah. The point of reference I have for modern vending machines is the ones you see in airports, which actually are a step Mm. above your typical Coke, drink, snack vending machines. But I think it is so smart when you go to an airport and there's a vending machine for a travel size makeup or a charger and really thinking, what is the need in this specific place that this person is going to be willing to buy something at double the price, triple the price because they need it? And that, in my head, was what I was thinking about with this vending machine. And I loved how it was smaller. I loved how it had a digital front. I loved how it could be, I'm assuming, customizable to wherever it's located and off the floor. You save the floor space. But I know during the pitch, I felt a little confused about sort of their unique selling proposition and a few of the things that they made. At first, they were really talking about it as a vending machine, but then it was, no, it's a digital media platform, digital advertising. And I think even Lori asked about it. It was like, are you advertising for the products that are in the machine or are you just renting space for somebody else who wants to advertise? And frankly, I still wasn't fully clear about which... It is a little confusing. So I thought about this a lot. I think they have two problems. I think one problem is that they can't explain the product. Mm. And the other problem they have is a valuation problem. We'll talk about the valuation problem separately, but let's talk about how to explain the product. So like they need a new tagline. Like their tagline right now is it's out of the basement into the spotlight. And I couldn't help but think there's gotta be, it's gotta be a better tagline. Let's keep in like the vending machines in the basement. Okay, so I got a few ideas for them. Amazing. John, I have some too. Should yeah. should we just like riff back and forth? <laughs> Pitching competition. Okay, here we go. We're ending old school vending. Never get stuck. <laughs> okay. Vending that keeps up with what's trending. Vending that makes sense. A vending machine with a screen. <laughs> it's so simple, but so true. Um, swipe, vend, go. Oh, that's pretty good. That is really good. I it's like concise. that one, Leslie. Uh, 
a vending network with a lot of now this one doesn't work actually i the rest of mine are not very good. <laughs> no, complete I did, the sentence. Finish it. The last one I wrote down was finish was it. vend vend baby, uh, which doesn't work at all. But uh, that was the last one I wrote down on my list of ideas. Maybe for a baby store. We need to somehow make this a poll. Like, what does what does everyone think listening to this was the best best pitch of that? <laughs> Tweet at us. Tell us what you thought was good. So you get a new you get a new tagline for them. And then I think you could just simply explain their business by saying, we're taking the vending machine industry, we're disrupting it through a more modernized approach that better aligns with what people actually want to buy. And we're like dramatically increasing how much money you can make per vending machine by monetizing every step of the transaction and every piece of real estate. And I think that's just how to explain it. Yeah, I think this is a really important point for anybody who works in marketing, copywriting, you have to simplify, simplify, simplify. If it doesn't make sense to you and it's not able to be said in a sentence or two, you probably got to go back to the drawing board and come up with something that's more concise and understood. You got to take your ideas and get them out of the basement into the spotlight, <laughs> marketers. So that was, the, that was the first problem, right? It's hard to explain what they did. I think second problem was valuation. And this was this was actually a real problem. What did they want? They wanted a $16 million valuation and they're only breaking even, really, right? Like they're I yeah. mean, they're like the cost to make was twenty five hundred. This it sells for twenty five hundred. And they they had mentioned that their total sales were a million dollars the year of the pitch. Yeah. And it's like became a real sticking point with the sharks, right? Because the the problem with that valuation is uh that it's just not balanced with what the sharks and the investors would have to put in. Uh, it's simply, if you're going to put in a certain amount of money, you have to get a fair share of the company in exchange for that. And I think that's the thing the sharks are getting held up on is it just feels like they're getting taken advantage of. They're being asked to contribute a certain amount of money, assuming the company is worth something. And in reality, their money is going to be immediately worth much less because the company's just not anywhere close to being worth that. And their only real justification was like, uh, we have an amazing team. That's why you should invest in us. Yeah, we have an aerospace <laughs> engineer who designs how everything should fit in the vending machine. Yeah, and it, they sort of took like an interesting justification too because they were like, what's going on with this valuation? And I think Damon also mentioned that as well. They were like, well, you see, we're changing the game on retail and marketing. And it was so funny. Just sometimes the delivery of some of these comments is just like absolutely gold. But like Mark was like, yeah, that's a stretch. And like the, the founders were like, oh, like there was just like this pause. <laughs> yeah, and so they started to have a bit of a debate about the valuation and it became very clear that it was not going anywhere. And so that's when the idea of venture debt got put on the table by Kevin, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? And so one way to think about what happened there is that they basically took the valuation conversation off the table because what they said was, we're not even going to like invest money in exchange for equity, which implies some valuation. Instead, we're just going to offer you some debt. And there's no valuation of the company associated with taking out debt. There's just an interest rate associated with it. So it just took the whole valuation conversation off the table. So that's just an interesting way to think about it is, you know, if you are an entrepreneur and you are really obsessed for some reason with ensuring you keep a certain valuation and you can't get people who would give you equity to agree with that valuation, one way you could go is you could go on and take debt. And that's what we ended up negotiating on here, which I thought was just an interesting turn of events that you don't see that often on the show. So he had put on like a $2 million loan for 36 months at 7% interest. And I was like, that seems like, I don't know. 
have no sense of if that's a good offer for 6% yeah. equity also in return. Yeah, it's all about whatever the entrepreneur is prioritizing. I mean, the 2 million and 7%, uh, like I actually don't know what venture debt rates were at that time. Like in theory, Kevin made, made it seem like it was kind of a market rate and so fine. But, and then they basically like started to negotiate on how much equity Kevin should also get. And Lori ended up joining in the deal with him too. And, and that's what they ended up negotiating on. Yeah, definitely. So they essentially fiddled down the equity ask to 3% for our sharks. Uh, but ultimately it was a joint deal between uh, Kevin, Lori and the founders, which is pretty cool. I feel like we don't see Kevin and Lori team up too much. No, this is a rare partnership. I agree. <laughs> and honestly, like these founders are going to get a bunch of money. It's a little risky for them because they are going to have to be able to pay back this loan over the next couple of years. You know, it's going to hold their feet to the fire, but it also gives them the money they need to do what they want. And it gets them two awesome sharks with connections and, you know, path they can go on. Totally fair. So knowing that this pitch happened in 2016, do we think that Vango is still a company? I think yes. I think I've seen it, which is why I'm saying yes. Oh, where'd you see it? I am a proud card holding member of Planet Fitness have been since I was yes. a wee wee girl at Planet Fitness. <laughs> own yes, it, Leslie. Own it's it. like my secret place <laughs> for when I travel. But yes, I've seen them at Planet Fitness. You can get like headphones and other things. Have you seen them in the wild, John? Uh, I don't know if I've seen them in the wild. I think I've seen them in the wild, uh, but I I, can't, I don't have a confirmed sighting. <laughs> it's like Bigfoot. Bingo's like Bigfoot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do they exist? I do believe it's a business and I bet it's doing really well. It's just my hunch just because of the size of the market and how ripe it is for disruption. Absolutely. So in terms of is it still a company? Yes, Vengo is not only a vending machine on the go, but it's also a money machine. So after the tank, they not only blew up, they became one of the top success stories in Shark Tank history. So nowadays you can see Vengo apparently at Planet Fitness, but also at universities like NYU and in Hyatt hotels. So they've added many more machines to their roster from touchless machines that you can control from your phone to Vango XL, which fits five times the capacity of the original Vango. But as of July 2022, they've gone up to 1,500 machines and their annual revenue is between $15 million and $25 million, which actually feels like quite a range to give you, but it's somewhere in there. Uh, but at this rate, they're basically printing money. It is surprising to me that they actually haven't grown more given that this pitch took place in 2016. Mm. Hey, uh, so you saw them at Planet Fitness, Leslie? I'm pretty sure. I, I like need to fact check my own brain on that one. But um... <laughs> new, new tagline idea. A vending machine that's part of your workout routine. Cute. Vengo. Wow. If they use any of these, I expect a royalty. <laughs> <laughs> Last in the tank, we have rugged events. Now, before I get into this pitch, who is it among us that has done a Spartan sprint or a Spartan race? Just so I have context. It's me. I did the warrior dash. Amazing. Okay, so we've got two dashers yeah. uh, or rugged <laughs> event connoisseurs because I could not relate to that less. <laughs> I don't do these events. However, it seems that our founders absolutely do. So we have Brad and Rob from Boston and they are coming asking for 
a million dollars for a 10% stake in equity at their business, which puts Rugged Events up to $10 million. Now, Rugged Events features 25 epic obstacles, which includes like jumping over fire and getting on a water slide. And as a clumsy person, like definitely (laughs) would die doing this. Uh, But it's fun and physical for those that like that. And the key differentiator in this case is that it has more obstacles compared to its competitors and a lot less running. In this case, it's it's three miles, 25 obstacles versus a Tough mutter that's 12 miles and only 20 obstacles. Thinking about your own experiences with events like this, what are we thinking of rugged events and their initial pitch to the Sharks? Is there something with like the people on the East Coast? Because well. all of these companies <laughs> are headquartered in the Spartan Race is Boston. Tough Mudder's Brooklyn. Rugged Maniac is another competitor that's in Boston. I'm like, what? Do y'all just like need a thrill? What is up? We just need hobbies. <laughs> we do spend all winter just sitting inside thinking about how great it would be to be outside. outside. And jump over a fire. <laughs> You're like, you know what I really want to do today is slide down a water slide and jump in a fire. Well, in the middle of winter, you do want to jump over a fire. It's freezing here. <laughs> But anyways, yeah, I've done a number of these. I've done the Tough Mudder. I've done sprints. I've done the stadium. I even did a super. I think the weirdest one I ever did was the Tough Mudder where you run through a shock string, like shock, little things that shock you as you run through. And it was the most ridiculous thing I've ever done. I know. I know. (laughs) I did it with like a bunch of people I worked with. And I that was the only Tough Mudder I've ever done. And I just thought that was the silliest thing. They were like, it's your first time. You have to run through the shock wall. No, I'm good. I don't really want to be shocked. I'd rather you. not do that. Thanks. <laughs> you know, the shock wall was sponsored by Pavlock and our friend Manish from <laughs> exactly. an episode past. Oh, Pavlock. I think these events are fun. I think they can, you know, help you set a goal and achieve it. But it just felt like I was looking at the exact same thing as everything else. There was nothing to their brand to me that really stood out. The one point is that they have a shorter race. Anybody can make that happen. Yeah. And that was my sticking point. So let's break that down, Liz. I think this is like a, this. This is the crux of it. Like, can it be differentiated in a way that it actually can start to scale? And I think the key question you have to ask yourself there is, is the adventure race market a winner takes all market? Mm. And so that that's like one way to think about markets is you'd call it there are certain markets that are more like winner takes all markets. And there are certain markets which are not. And I kind of was I was thinking about this. I don't think that adventure races is a winner takes all market. I actually think there's lots of room. I don't even think most consumers have a notion of the difference between them, right? And so they see one advertised on their feed and they're like, oh, the adventure race is coming up. Not like, they're not like, oh, the Tough Mudder is coming up. I would only do a Tough Mudder. I would never do a Spartan. It's mm-hmm. mostly about like- The experience, not the brand. Yeah, it's all the same experience. And so the question is just like, yeah, if they can find, if they can find a way to get people to sign up for- the race, then in theory, they're fine. So this brings you to your next question. Is the market for adventure races big enough to support all these brands? So assuming it's not winner take on, there could be multiple brands, then is the market big enough? And so this this is actually, this is the question. And adventure races is unique. You're one of the few people I know, Leslie, who's done like multiple. Like everybody that I know has done one and they're like, <laughs> I'm good. What are you saying, like, I John? Get it. Are you saying I've got a little, a little something? Well, adventure seeking, adventure seeking lesson. I, I definitely uh, am a thrill seeker. Yeah, but. well, you're a tougher mutter than me. But so let's just say there's 200 million adults in the United States. So out of 100 people, how many each year would consider doing an adventure race? What do you think? Maybe like 20. 20 out of 100 people would consider it. 
I think so. Like, if I they feel like something. five. <laughs> I think so. I think assuming it's like year one of these things, I think maybe five people would think about mm. doing one. But the problem is it's now year 10 or whatever of adventure races. And of those five people, four have already done an adventure race and they're not going to do it again. I actually think like the repeatability on this is low. So maybe one person. I think you are 100% correct that there is a really loyal group in each of these brands that ends up going super deep. And there's some network effect associated with that. They'll bring their friends to be a part of it. They talk about it a lot, yada, yada. But I actually think the majority of the market doesn't fall into that category. I think the majority of the market is a one-timer. And so, I don't know, you end up with somewhere, if you do some math at like $100 per race or something like that, you end up with like a 200 to a $500 million total industry per year, which is a lot of money. Like, you, like, so I think there is like very reasonable market for it. And then the question is just, okay, so it's not winner takes all. There's a decent sized market. Then the question is like, can you actually get people to sign up and can you get a higher lifetime value out of those people? That's tricky because getting people to sign up, I, I imagine it's actually pretty hard for these companies. I imagine they rely a lot on advertising. I don't, like, where did you learn about all these, Leslie? God, Spartan, you can never get off their mailing list. I will tell you <laughs> that. They find you. They're like Scientology. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like where this pitch really started to break down is we were barely into like the sharks responding to the initial pitch and they brought up their other company, which is like a bull run in the US. And then there was like Tomato Royale and they started to really lose trust of sharks, but they also started to kind of lose their way in making it a pitch about rugged events, right? Because yeah. then, then the sharks were like, well, what's this bull run thing? What's this other company? Like, are you even invested in just focusing on that? And it didn't quite seem like they were selling a good narrative there. Okay, so in theory, the success of this business will be based upon their ability to acquire new people, mm -hmm. which I think pretty much their only channel is advertising and then get higher lifetime value out of the people they've acquired, which is largely through email marketing. Let's just say like those are basically the two channels. Like it forces these companies into a multi, multi-brand, multi-event strategy. Fair enough. Right, because mm -hmm. we all know what's happened to advertising costs over the past couple of years in particular, but like even really with the way that like Facebook changed a lot of their ad products at the time that this pitch happened around 2013, a lot of businesses, like I worked at Trunk Club and I remember very meaningfully on one day, it was like, oh, wow, the unit economics have dramatically changed based on the way Facebook is now doing a bunch of this stuff. And I would imagine these companies are going to struggle on the new user acquisition side and are going to need to maximize the LTV of everybody that they've acquired. And so like, you do that through a multi-brand strategy of saying like, yeah, cool. You did the Rugged Maniac race. Now you have to do the bull run. Now you have to do this. And the fact <laughs> that they- And only one person broke their arm. The bull run. <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, we just had some minor energy Some concussions, injuries. you know, some brain bleeds. <laughs> and that's why it was so messed up that they had like cleaved off the mm -hmm. bull run business is because if you're an investor evaluating it, you totally would be looking at whether these people have the ability to create you know, alternate experiences that would get people they've acquired to spend more money with the core brand. Um, and that's why none of the sharks would, would bite. They needed it to include the bull run business because the they differentiator that is strategy. the bulls. <laughs> Ultimately, the deal was made with Bark for 1.75 million for a 25% stake. But do you think that this is still a company? Like may maybe, I don't know. Yeah, I'm maybe, but I, I don't know. I think there was probably a big influx post-COVID. Um, I think they're still in the adventure race world. 
but you got to tell us because I'm not sure. Well, get ready for your next thrill-seeking adventure, Leslie, because Rugged Events is still very much going strong, so I can't wait to hear that you signed up. (laughs) After their tank, their sales went up to $10.5 million. So in 2018, 80% of their company was actually acquired by New Media Investment Group. At the same time of the acquisition, Mark ended up selling all of his shares for double what he paid for. Uh, So talk about a return on investment there. As of 2022, they've hosted more than 100 events in a year with more than 1.5 million annual participants. So their maniac mentality kind of continues to thrive and bring in the dough, even in a post-COVID world. So who do you think won today's episode? Flipstick. Yeah. Anybody who comes on stage and raps and gets a deal. It's just gecko feet. Flipstick was the winner of this episode. They win. You know, once you make it into Target, you've made it big. I wish I could say that about myself. Once I've made it into Target, I've succeeded. That's just You're about not to spend true, it, though. <laughs> Today's episode was written and produced by Matthew Brown. And guys, you've left over 150 reviews on Apple Podcasts so far. And as Rainey says, first time listening, and I love it. And we love you. And Jay Nixon says, funny, insightful, and on point. Go ahead and tell your friends, your family, your lifelong nemesis neighbor down the street, whoever, tell them about another bite. After all, word of mouth is the greatest podcast gift there is. I'm Jory Monroe, and see you next week for another bite.